friends, welcome to episode 27 of the Middle Class Musician Podcast. I am very excited about this uh, episode today. I get to chat with Matt Ermey, uh, who's someone who really hits the nail on the head with what this podcast is aiming at being. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But before we do that, I have two very exciting announcements. One, we have our first ever sponsor for the podcast. Two, I also just so happened to have launched my first company last week, and it already has a great sponsorship spot on a music podcast. So yes, technically I'm, I'm sponsoring myself, uh, but I'm excited because if this was not my company that was uh, was getting the sponsorship and the owners wanted to sponsor sponsor the pod, I can't talk, sponsor the podcast, I'd be excited. Uh, because I think the company I just launched and the people who listen to this show are uh, would be beneficial to each other. So uh, it's called Nashville for Hire. Some of you heard of it. Um, if you checked out my side podcast, I just started called Musician Builds a Business, very aptly named. And the the short definition of what Nashville for Hire is is an online marketplace where anyone from anywhere. Uh, can come and order remote sessions and songwriting from a curated roster of Nashville-only singers, musicians, songwriters, producers, and audio engineers. And I had the idea to start it about a year ago, um, and I'm not going to go into the whole journey because you can check that out at that other podcast I just mentioned, Musician Builds a Business. Uh, But after working for about two years on websites that were a similar style that allowed me to sell my singing and guitar sessions uh, remotely. Uh, I thought it would be cool to build a website with a similar model, but with the exclusively Nashville talent piece and also with a a curated team of them, Uh, because many of the websites out there that specialize in remote sessions don't have any curation and anyone can sign up, so you don't really know what you're getting when you when you buy stuff necessarily. So I wanted that to be, I wanted it to always be a matter of preference, not quality when people are on Nashville for Hire. And if you've never heard of this kind of website, uh, in in a nutshell, um, let's say Joe Smith in Montana is recording a song and he wants guitar on his song, but he doesn't play guitar. So he hires Jill Johnson in Nashville to play guitar from her home studio and send the tracks back to him. And uh, I think having Nashville for Hire as a sponsor for this, for this podcast is one great because it shows that I'm practicing what I preach on this podcast about having multiple income streams. And two, uh, many of you interested in this show probably play music on some level um, and might not have access to the level of musicianship that is found in Nashville, in in your hometown, wherever that might be. So uh, now you do. Um, So if you want to check it out, it's www.nashvilleforhire.com. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts if you do check it out and uh, hear from you guys. All right. So Matt Ermey, I loved this episode. It really, it's really inspiring for me as someone who is at the beginning of his career and has all these ideas about what I think and hope will lead to to success. And then to sit down with someone further down the road who says back to me, 
uh, some very similar ideas, but from a place of experience instead of my place of really kind of theory and hopeful uh, kind of faith in what I think will work. Um, but Matt's an artist, he's a, a poet, an entrepreneur, a lot more than that, and we dive into all that he is right at the top, so I'm just gonna let this thing play. Enjoy, guys. musician podcast i'll give a brief spark notes on on who you are and then i'll let you kind of fill in the gaps um first thing is off your website poet songwriter practitioner of traditional healing arts and entrepreneur uh i'm very familiar with three well very familiar with two of those things one of them the poet i think by default being a songwriter i'm somewhat familiar with the traditional healing arts i'm less familiar with that's probably a usual situation for you uh and you're also the founder of artist growth which is an artist service used by kesha beach boys the fray john paul white leonard skinnard name a few also reliant k which is my high school favorite band uh actually junior high and high school is a long time running favorite band uh and you have a brand new album that is actually an old album, but recently released that Nashville scene called the ma- most fascinating Nashville album of the past de- decade, which is hyper flattering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, crazy. So uh, if you have any glaring things that you want to just fill in as far as like a broad strokes, feel free to and introduce yourself. Well, well, first of all, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, no, all that stuff you just said uh, are parts of my of my world and my yeah. orbit. Um, you know, since I guess over the last 17 years, I've took a, I've taken, you know, several, uh, dirt roads, so to speak, in terms of, you know, what I was focusing on and yeah. uh, kind of went on this journey that has, you know, brought a lot of things into my life, like traditional healing arts and, uh, technology and music and poetry. Um, and they all sort of have fed into one another and informed the yeah. process of the other thing. So it's, it, it may seem like they're unrelated when you read about it on a yeah. website or something, but they're all pretty interconnected in terms of how they influence and sort of uh, empower me to to do what it is that I do. Sure, sure. Yeah, I feel the the danger of like Twitter bios is uh, when I was actually trying to promote this podcast on Twitter and just like finding people to strategically follow and stuff, and you sit and see Twitter bio after Twitter bio, it feels like so empty after a while because it's just these like shells of yeah. like, you know, stereotypes of like, oh, I love coffee. Yeah. 405. And it's like, really? That's that's your thing? Uh, so you have much better things than I love coffee 405. Um, but uh, hit, uh, let's let's start with, I guess, what, what one of those things came first that led into the other ones. Um if that's a if that's a good starting point. Yeah, music. Yeah, music and poetry for okay. sure. I mean, ever since I was a kid. Yeah, so writing songs since I was nine, and uh, and I got into poetry in school. I guess in high school is when I first started getting exposed. You know, everybody does Emily Dickinson. And yeah, yeah. The the classic sort of American poetries, and then you read the classics from Europe, and and that got language became my fascination. Okay. Yeah. So it all started really with this fascination with language, and then music 
and came into got that. married. Yeah. Okay. How do you, um, this is something I was curious about because I've done songwriting, but I haven't done as much poetry. And um, even within songwriting, I compartmentalize like this is something I'm writing for TV film. This is something for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you compartmentalize the two or uh, do you write a poem sometimes and you find out it's a song or do you, you know, where do they bleed into each other or do they? They do. Uh, definitely though, you know, the big differentiator is if I sit down to write with an instrument in my hands mm-hmm. or not. Okay. Is sure. usually what happens there. Yeah. But oftentimes if I sit down at a table with a, with a legal pad and I'm, I'm writing, you know, and drinking a glass of wine and then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm writing poetry. Oftentimes the lines, uh, lines show up that never really evolve into a poem, but they stick with me. And mm-hmm. then over the course of weeks or months or even years at times, they, those lines will evolve into becoming a verse or a part of a chorus of sure. a song. You yeah, know, yeah. So they're definitely not separate. Yeah. Um, it really just is about when and where I am and what access to an instrument I have when inspiration hits. Yeah. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, what, where did that lead? So you grew up um, in mostly in Nashville, right? Yeah, okay. I, I've lived here since 1981 or 82. Okay. We, we moved down here from New York when I was a teeny little kid, like okay. four years old. So you remember Nashville? Then. Yeah. So Nashville is my hometown for yeah. sure, and uh, it's it's way different now than it was then. Yeah, in a, in a big way. Yeah. Talk about. I've been here for seven years, and. I feel like a veteran just because of how quick, you know, like you meet everyone you meet pretty much if you go to a coffee shop as we've lived here within like a year, it feels like. Right. So even seven years, I feel like I've been here a long time. What's, what's, what's the biggest thing you've seen change like culturally, you know, besides just skyscrapers going up? Well, it's it's a diversity. Yeah. When I growing up here was interesting because especially where I was, which was out, in the countries and Franklin mm-hmm. and or was the country. Right. And, uh, and there was no diversity. Yeah. You know, and there was a lot of, uh, of a certain way of thinking about what you do with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you know, there was obviously a lot of privilege. Uh, I grew up with a lot of privilege. And yeah. so I, I always felt like Nashville was a, was a place where you were very limited. Sure. And even musically, I I was growing up, you know, I had friends whose dads were studio guitar players and studio drummers and producers and and songwriters on the row. And, you know, because back then that was a thing. That was the thing. And they were all pushing us to, oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to write like this. You got to sing like that. You got to play like this. You got to be in these kinds of bands. And friends and I were just sort of like, you know, hell no. You know, we just weren't feeling it at all. Yeah. Not that I had anything against the products that were coming out. I mean, I, I love jamming Garth Brooks as much as anybody else did yeah. back then, but uh, I didn't want to do that. And so I left in, t- in 1996 to go to college. Okay. And I didn't think I'd ever come back except to visit family. I didn't think I'd ever live in Nashville mm-hmm. again because I wanted to live in New York or I wanted to live in LA or London. Yeah. Where was college? Um, well, I did a year and a half at Auburn and hated it. Uh, just wasn't the right fit for me. Yeah. Um, and all my buddies from my high school band had gone to UT in Knoxville. So it wasn't really about the school. It was more about like, hey, let's get the band back together. Right, right. So I went to Knoxville and I actually fell in love with that town. Okay. It's a really gritty, uh, it's, it's a really gritty town with, a, with an artistic underbelly that's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, and it would go as deep as you wanted it to go. So I really, I lived there for a long time and made that my home base. 
toured around and drove around in a car and played shows for years and years and years and traveled mm-hmm. internationally from there because it was cheap to live. And being a bohemian, sort of gypsy, was really easy to do there. Sure. And, uh, and when I came back to Nashville in 2007, it was like walking into a whole new town. I mean, yeah. It, and from 96 to 2007, the town had completely evolved and changed. Yeah. And, and I fell in love with it, you know, as an adult. Uh, and now, of all the places I travel, it's certainly my favorite place to be. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the typical stuff, the musical diversities here, uh, ethnic diversities here, uh, food diversities here. None of that yeah. was here when I was growing up. Like the restaurant scene was Oh Charlie's. Not, yeah, right. <laughs> kind of. That's what it was. Uh, at least where I grew up. Yeah. And uh, and now you know it's it's like it's just it's like living in a city as opposed to living in a little southern small town. Southern small town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a a big difference. And to me, cause I grew up in uh, New England, so. I, I, it's a very, I mean, there's obviously people know very different cultures between New England and, and the South. So I don't know how well I would fit. Like you're saying, I don't think I would intentionally move to like out, you know, rural South. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in Nashville, it doesn't, you know, it has its own life, its own, its own thing going For on here sure. since I've moved here. Cause I came, you know, post 2007. Um, and it's only increased since I've been here. Like you said, like even, you know, it, it it seems like trivial, but it's when you want to live in a city, things like food and, and coffee and all those things where, where there's an intentional community trying to like create that for everyone. Everyone gets excited about, you know, being excellent in those ways. It's really cool. And it's only increasing exponentially, you know, more and more, I think, yeah, no as, doubt. as you're as you go around, there's new things opening up all the time, uh, which is fun to be a part of, I think. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um is uh did you do you have like a favorite coffee shop do you do coffee or is that I do do coffee uh you know I don't have a favorite coffee shop okay. I like I like all of, all of them yeah cuz they're all making their coffee a little bit different and sure. I spent years in Knoxville working at a coffee shop uh, uh, so you which know trade. which turned me into a little bit of a snob mm-hmm. that I'm no longer I was a snob then oh, when I worked there but, but no longer a snob. no longer okay. man <laughs> yeah I'll drink Starbucks I'll drink whatever yeah, I just yeah. love coffee yeah. but it's fun to go into all these different shops and see the way they're doing it oh, yeah. how seriously they're taking it it's very serious yeah it's very serious it's I've, fun I've either gotten used to the seriousness or they've become slightly less snobby about it because people hated it but I, I don't feel as like intimidated anymore yeah. with a lot of like the the you know really trendy ones in town yeah so either I've become snobby and I appreciate them taking it seriously or they've toned it down a little bit yeah and now for they sure. smile more um, for sure I had a couple moments when the, some of those ones were first opening up where you know you go up to the counter for the first time and it's like are you you ask for an espresso or something like that. And the look, you, it's like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? Come on, man. Sorry, I didn't know the rules. Yeah, I didn't, I, you didn't tell me the rules. There's nothing telling me the rules. You just expected me to know yeah. innately. Yeah, um, yeah but yeah, it's but cool. It, it is, it's fun. Um, yeah, I think um, my, I, I wonder too, and I'd be curious what you think with the culture shifting, like all the positive things. Uh, do you think there's anything that's lost in in just the mass, you know, migration of pe- of people here, because the culture will will shift in a lot of ways, in a lot of good ways, diverse and all that. Um, but as far as like some of the elements that made Nashville so attractive, really in the last five years, where you get such a strong migration um, culturally, uh, just as far as like community culture, not as yeah. far as diversity. Do you think that any of that will get lost because? 
all of a sudden the culture will be whatever, you know. I hope not. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because I say, I refer to Nashville as this provincial place that was limited in its in its culture and mm-hmm. things like that when I was growing up. And that was solely because of where I lived, my school, my orbit was such, but there was a whole side to Nashville even then mm-hmm. that was super badass yeah that i never got into back then i never was exposed to a lot of the cats that were running around this town doing amazing amazing yeah. things setting the foundation for what oh, it is man. now and yeah i mean in, in the 70s and you know the, what was going on in the 60s and 70s in nashville from a music standpoint was a, a lot of really amazing shit that was foundational to american music yeah uh and, or, or how it evolved and what it became and you know, that was one of the amazing things about working with Jack Clement mm-hmm. when I came back to Nashville in 07 and I met him in 2010 and we struck up a friendship and started working together. And that was the first time that I ever got immersed in a real kind of way, not like reading a book, but actual physically in the space that I was in, got immersed into the history of Nashville musically. Yeah. And that was an eye opening sort of paradigm shifting experience because it made me realize like, wow, when I was growing up, that was all happening around me and I had no idea. Yeah. And uh, I was so cut off from that or, or just outside of that orbit. And, yeah. And it was truly amazing. And I think, you know, Nashville as it's, as it's evolving, I really hope, I really, really, really hope that those aspects of its traditional history mm-hmm. don't get absorbed or forgotten yeah. or just or kind of disappear. Kind of. Yeah, man, because there's some really powerful people mm-hmm. who are working here and they did some really amazing things. And you like Cowboy, um, who you don't want to see that forgotten. And even in 2010, when I came home, the day he had invited me to his studio and asked me if I wanted to make a record with him and I was freaking out about it. Yeah. And like, holy shit, I can't believe that, that this is actually going to happen. 80% of my friends who I told about, I called up and was like, dude, you're not going to fucking believe this. They were like, who? Yeah. Cowboy Jack, who's that? And, you know, I was like, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. That's sad if we lose that. Yeah, sure. You know, that's sad. And so I hope that that doesn't get lost. You know, and you see it. A lot of the landmarks, a lot of the studios are getting bulldozed mm-hmm. and turned into condos. And that's sad. Yeah, yeah. Because you 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 take away the physical representation of an era. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all the spiritual aspects and energy of that era are no longer at the forefront of the consciousness of people who live here. Yeah, sure. You know, and so it's easy to it's easy to move on. Yeah, and uh, that's what I hope doesn't completely happen. Yeah, you yeah, know? because then it, it there's something very exciting about new buildings, and they're fun to drive by, and they're they're modern and it, it's great, but the like you you can have a, a platform and a plot of land with new buildings anywhere. And once it's there, it's there and all of a sudden they're old in five years and you if you lose that history, yeah. that's really the thing. Like you're saying, that spirit that would make Nashville what it is. And mm-hmm. that's here now. But if ten years from now everything is turned flipped and it's a bunch of new shiny buildings or somewhat shiny at that point then all of a sudden it's just a plot of land with new, new buildings that, you know, has a history that you don't really hear about because there's no reminders. Yeah, man. Um, and, and I think it's important, too, that the artists working here today don't just get to go to the, you know, the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum and see the stuff behind glass, but are able to, you know, understand how the artists in those days 
were living, yeah, and what they were doing, and you know where where were they working and and who was hanging out with who and what were the guitar pulls they were doing and 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 then emulating that as a part of their creative process with their own contemporaries is important, you yeah, know? and and there were some really cool practices and things that got done. Then it's like, you know, if, if you're not, if that all gets lost, then, then nobody comes along and goes, Oh man, I'm going to go do what Jack and John Prine did and make a record on a houseboat out in the middle of Percy Priest Lake for the right. hell of it. Yeah. Just to see what kind of comes out of that. And you know, you, you want that stuff to be remembered. So other people will do the same thing or, mm. or of their own version of it. Sure. As opposed to like Nashville, traditional country just becomes this thing behind glass in the museum yeah yeah and, and which, then which it, it kind of is yeah yeah uh, to some degree but but there's also sort of a renaissance happening around that it seems mm. like you know traditional songwriting styles and forms are making their way back into the mainstream yeah. which i think is rad which is great yeah mm-hmm. which your album that brings it i was i had i think i had known i mean this was your first album so i hadn't really heard your music uh, but I knew who you were from artist growth and stuff. Um, and I was surprised, I guess, only in that I was expecting, like, you have, like, the Nash the Nashville guy who's got the the company, and I was expecting, I guess, like, like hipstery kind of, like, you know, indie music or something. And then I started playing the record, and it's very, very country, mm. more, more traditional, you know, awesome-sounding stuff. Um what did uh is that what you've always been writing in or is that like where you decided to go or like how does how did this, how did your style develop over the years well back in my earlier 20s yeah when i was in knoxville um i was i've always done the singer songwriter thing because mm-hmm. you're playing coffee shop gigs and bar gigs by yourself yeah and so that just sort of happens you write songs by yourself you sing them by yourself in, in bars um, but i was playing in bands too and in my earlier 20s i i totally tried the you know, rocker, indie, hipster, mm-hmm. uh, emo type stuff. Sure. You know, that, yeah, that the, I think everybody goes The hipster goes indie was different at that time a yeah. little bit, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. Way more emo flair. Yeah, yeah. way more emo <laughs> flair. And, um, but you know, I, so I was in a band called uh, Telescope. I was okay. in a band called Martha's that, that I put together and with friends. And, um, and then it's sort of, I guess it was 25, 26. Uh, I was living with this group of people and, and, uh, the girl I was living with, she had a band and another guy there in one of the rooms, he had a band and I had my band. And We decided to put together a, a group. We had this great idea of um, let's get a weekly gig at this bar. We'll put together sort of a, a group with the three of us singing Dream and team. writing the songs. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll put a, a, a group behind it. And it turned into this honky tonk type band. We called it the Whiskey Scars. And okay. the, the deal with the bar was he would pay our monthly rent. And we, we would play every Thursday night. That's awesome. Flat. And so we drank free, we got our rent covered, and we played every Thursday. Yeah. And it turned into this thing. And uh, That's fun. That's we, really we, fun. Oh, it was super fun. And it was just this rowdy, lots of drinking, honky-tonk. But that's when I really fell into studying traditional country music yeah. and falling in love with, you know, all everything from the Texas guys and all that stuff and the songwriters and storytellers to the, you know, Willie's deep cuts and really just sitting around and just listening to those records and realizing how deep it went. And that's really when I first, uh, my first exposure to Cowboy Jack was watching Rattle and Hum when I was way younger Mm because he produced some of the tracks and and he's in that film that you two did. Okay. But then it was in this phase of the whiskey scars where I started really studying country music that he popped up again and again. Yeah. And 
I learned about really who he was and what he did. And, and that's when I fell in love with that raw traditional style of country music and the harmonies and the melodies and the stories and all yeah. that. And Jack, working with him, I mean, that's what he did. He helped create that out of nothing, you know, going all the way back to Sun Studios in the 50s. Yeah. And, and producing sessions and engineering sessions. And, and so when we started working together, I just said, dude, let, let's just do an do old country thing. record. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and he said, yeah, let's do it. Let's cut the whole thing live. And, and the band that we had, um, they all know how to do that. They're all, they were all such badass players. Yeah. And, uh, so they all knew how to do that, and they all we were over at Cowboys, and so they were kind of in that headspace. They're like, "Oh, we're at Cow- we're at Jacks. Let's let's make a country record." Yeah, and it's like, "Cool, let's let's uh, let's make it as old school as we can." And then I, you know, like my, my next record may not be anywhere near that old school. Sure, you sure. Know, I love the idea of experimenting with different kinds of sounds. And, yeah, and things, but it was a it was really fun to just go. No, we're gonna run it live, and all these guys know what to do. Yeah, they've all worked with Jack before. They they know that. Nashville country thing. They've right. been doing it for decades. So there were the people that you were growing up and they were saying, go do this thing. And you're like, nah. Well, no, those are the people who, uh, the people that on, on this album were the ones that I never knew existed when oh, I was okay. in high school. So they were the next They the were next doing level. the cool yeah, yeah. shit yeah, yeah. that I wasn't exposed to. Gotcha. Most of the, I mean, because I grew up in a, in a, I went to high school in Brentwood. And yeah. so the parents of the kids I was hanging out with were like playing on Shania Twain records. And, gotcha. Gotcha. And, and different, doing different space, whole different space, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. that didn't appeal to me. Sure, there was a lot of rules. Yep, there was this really Type A attitude about how you played your instrument, and the kind of songs you could write, and that was like, yeah, you know, I didn't know Shel Silverstein was here writing mm-hmm. crazy songs and you right. know running around town with, with all those guys. Yeah. Had I known that, I may have never left. I may have just started following them around. Yeah, sure, yeah, you know, but but that wasn't in my periphery when I was a kid. Sure. Yeah, it's amazing what twenty minute drive will will do to to where you live, dude. Um, here, I'm just gonna. Oh, I thought that door was open this whole time, and I was thinking I had to close it because it was getting cold. Never mind. <laughs> um, let that brings us right into um, the album then. Which first, uh, I guess, speak on how you got connected with Jack then, and then uh, the story of the album is just fascinating. So if you for people who don't know, if you want to walk through how that all went down, because that was a long process. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to start with with Jack, and then we'll we'll hit the, the album story. Yeah, for sure. So Jack, uh, I did the what I was always taught was like the no no, which is you just find somebody's home phone number and cold call, <laughs> and uh, you know for good reason. That's not a very good strategy sure. if you want to Jack get introduced with a, to a legend. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I did. I just felt like. That was the only way it was going to happen. And so mm-hmm. I called his house and didn't expect anything to come of it. Right. And somebody answered and I told him, you know, who, who I was. Who answered? Do you well, know? so he had this entourage of folks that that uh, kind of hung at his house. His yeah. house was like, so he had the studio upstairs and then he had a an editing room okay. off the living room. And so Clement Vision was like Jack's TV station thing that mm. he started, I think, back in the 70s. And Clement Vision had sort of, he brought it all in-house, and he still had some people working for him that were technically employees at Clement Vision. And so when I called, gotcha. uh, you know, if you really want to know about all that, go on Amazon and buy a DVD called Shakespeare Was a Big George Jones Fan. Okay. Uh, it's all It's a collection of Cowboys home movies. Okay, cool. And it's fucking righteous <laughs> to watch all this and i mean everybody's in it yeah and um 
and you really get an understanding of who Jack was and his spirit and what he did. And, okay, cool. Um, so Clement Vision was at his house, and so when I called the number, the phone picked up, and this voice said, Clement Vision, and I kind of paused like that and then introduced myself and said, look, Jack doesn't know who I am, but I'm a huge fan, and I have this show going down, and uh, I want to talk to him about being on it. And I guess that was what made him say, hang on, and then he went and got Jack. Yeah. Um, and so it's terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying. Jack got on the phone. I reintroduced myself and explained that he had no idea who I was, right. but I, I was. Which he already knew, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I uh, and I apologized for calling for cold calling, and but said I've got this show I'm producing, and I want you to be the guest of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which, are you to, talking music show? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I did this show at Third and Lindsley. It was November of 2010, and this was. Uh, October of 2010, and it's called the, so I'd written the song, it's on the record, it's called the Renaissance Rodeo, mm-hmm. and so I put together this idea for a variety show format called the Renaissance Rodeo Show, and so I got this backing band together, and all these guys were going to, uh, they're going to be on stage the whole night, I'd MC it, and I'd bring up a different singer-songwriter, they'd do two or three tunes, and, and then they'd be gone, I'd introduce gotcha. the next one, they'd come up, and the backing band would just sort of stay there and back everybody. Yeah. It was a great night. And so I wanted Jack to close the night out and do four or five tunes. Yeah. And so... So that's a good... Pl- you're pulling him in. You got something to offer. Yeah, yeah. I said, let's do this thing, man. It's going to be great. And he knew some of the guys in the band. Okay. And, and so you know, I, I said, look, you know these guys, and, and there's going to be some great songwriters. And instead of just telling me no, he said, well, why don't you come by my house? We'll talk about it. Okay. Um, which shocked me Yeah. that somebody was going to let a stranger they didn't know who just called them off the street come over to his house. Come on over. Yeah, and so I, so I said, okay, well, when when can you do that? And he said, well, what are you doing right now? Which also shocked me. Yeah. And so, and I was at my day job at the time, so I went in and, and said, hey, I got to go. I made up, you know, some excuse, like yeah. some emergency. And so I left, and I went straight over there. And we hung out for a couple hours in his office, and he he talked to me for about five minutes, and then he, he interrupted me. He's like, wait, hang on a second. And he, he ruffled through some CDs, and he pulled out a CD, put it on, and cranked it up, and it was one of his CDs. Yeah. He played me this song called We Must Believe in Magic. Uh, and he was like, what do you think of that? You know, and, and I, it was an amazing song. And so we, we sat and talked about music for a couple hours. And at the end of it, he said, hey, I'll do your show, man. I like you. And <laughs> then he came and did the show a month later. And it was the next day he called me back over to his house. And he said, took me up to the studio. And he said, man, I love that show. That was great. The band kicked ass. Um, asked me if I had enough songs to do an album. Yeah. I said, yeah, man. And he said, well, cool. Let's, you want to do one here? And I said, yeah. Sure thing. Hell yeah. And he said, okay, cool. The one stipulation I've got is you have to use that band you had last night. Okay. Because that band was smoking. And uh, and so I said, that done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then we a month later, we cut the album. Wow. And, and then, that was what, 2010? That was December of 2010. Okay. Yeah. And then and we were mixing uh, in May of mm-hmm. 2011. We'd gotten to the mixing phase. And that's when the fire hit and yeah. the house burned down and the studio was lost. And what happened? Was that just like a... It was an electrical fire. Electric fire, yeah. Um, Jeez. Yeah, he was actually asleep in bed. And a, a neighbor uh, went over to the house to you know, say hi to him or whatever and let himself in the back door, which most people did, most people did who knew yeah. Jack. And uh, he saw smoke coming through the air vents. And so he ran in the room and woke him up and they pulled him and Eileen out of the house and... Jeez. And uh, then the whole place just went up. Oh, that sucks. So, yeah, uh, it was tragic. It yeah. was so tragic. And, um, 
you know, so the so I got over there that afternoon while the house, the fire department was still trying to put the fire out, and he was out there with his family and some friends that had gathered, and um, everything was gone. When did it hit you? Because you were probably was it was it your first thought that this tra- you know my friend slash a legendary place is burning, and then you're like, oh, but also Oliver, like. I guess in my mind, I'm so used to now, like, the cloud being a thing, mm-hmm. so it would take longer for me to be like, are there only copies in there? Right. But that might have been an immediate thing of you being like, all three are, you know, my buddy's house is going, a legendary place is going, and all my files. Right? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, and before I got to the all my files, um, the the real, the overwhelming bit of it was, was just what Jack was losing. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of like, not only was it his studio, but in that house and in that studio were decades worth of two inch reel to reel tapes. Oh man. From sessions that he had done. And I have pictures I, the day that I, he took me up there and asked me if I wanted to cut an album. I got my phone out and started taking pictures cause, uh, with his permission. Yeah. Because on the walls from the floor to the ceiling were these bookcases that had two inch master decks Oh, and all of them had labels on them, and it was just like Johnny Cash, Louis Armstrong, oh. Dolly Parton, Porter Wagner, uh, uh, you know, Guy Clark, John Prine, Emmy Lou Harris, Allison Krauss. Yeah, they were all there, and then it was all sessions that had been done in that studio. I mean, tons of decks, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash, that. of him and of them just messing around in yeah. the studio. You know, a lot of it, I'm sure, B roll and. And it was just, um, it was full of that. Yeah. And uh, and so when when you're sitting there watching it burn, you realize that this man who's now, he was 80 years old at the time, I think, or 79, uh, just, or he was actually, yeah, I think he had just turned 79. I don't, I don't know the exact age, but yeah. he was just sitting there watching it all just go up and smoke, man. And yeah. so I didn't even think about our record. Yeah. You know, it was like, phew. and then that night it kind of hit me. It was like, well... That's done, and uh, and I went back over the next morning, and, and uh, he wasn't there, but some of his uh, his engineer was there, and and Ferg was there, and some other guys, and we were all kind of going in in what was left of the house and pulling out what we could. Yeah. Um, and so from the studio, there were a bunch of external hard drives that we pulled out, and the 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 Macintosh computer. It was one of those ones that had like the aluminum casing around it. Mm-hmm. It was a G four. I don't know what they're called. Yeah. But. But we, we pulled all that out, you know, and they were all dented and charred and a little melted and waterlogged from the fire hoses and God, yeah, just kind of stacked them up and uh, never even occurred to me to think that there may be something salvageable on any yeah, of those because yeah. um, they just looked completely wrecked. And, um, and so we did all that and then I left later that afternoon and, and you know, and I spent the next several months just going and visiting Jack at the house he was renting down yeah. the street while they rebuilt his his house and uh you know it, it wasn't until a year in 2012 that his engineer called me and said that they had salvaged oh wow some of the hard drives and of the few records they got back uh while we lost all the mixes and all the stems and all the overdubs they had the original files mm. you know and so he asked me if i wanted to come back to work on it and you know i had started artist growth at that point yeah um so we launched artist growth in january 2012 and uh, I was like, dude, I just started a tech company. Like, I can't come back to work on this. I'm completely underwater with yeah. this new project, and I'm so sorry. And um, so it was even longer before we we got to go back to work on the record. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you start a company like that, you know, one hundred ten percent of my energy had, was in that. Yeah, right. You know, which is why it's taken me an, another four years to even get the album to the point where I could put it out. Yeah, without even touring. Right, right. You know, I just finally decided to put it out because uh, Jack had invested a lot and I had invested a lot, and it was like I got to put this out there. Yeah, I can't really properly promote it i can't really properly go on tour to do it because i have artist growth um it's where my commitments are right now but i wanted it to be out there at least totally is uh what was your where was your head at when you it sounds like you kind of had an opportunity fall into your lap and so you jumped full onto the album where were you planning on going you know like that six months a year whatever you spent recording it what was your head thinking you were going oh. the day before you made that call? Oh, yeah. I was, uh, when we decided to make the record and he agreed to do it, I immediately started planning, like, okay, we're going to make this record. It'll be done by next summer. Okay. I'm going to go and tour this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, prom- I mean, yeah, I was super gearing up for, I'm going to, I'm going to, ride this wave as far as I can. I'm going to yeah. try to make the best record I can and I'm going to go out there and tour the hell out of it. Right. Um, until the fire happened, that was my plan. Yeah. And uh, when when that happened, uh, this idea for building a, an artist management software app uh, took center stage. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that was already was that already there in your head? Yeah. Then- yeah. Oh yeah. We'd been working on it uh, since 2010. Just okay. just kind of like how would you do this kind mm-hmm. of an idea, like just percolating the seeds of the idea. And, and technology was, cha- you know, it keeps changing, allowing for new things. Yeah, know? and back then it was still real early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, real, real early. And It would have been all browser-based, right? It was no, iPhone. it was app. It was okay. a, the actual first prototype was an iPhone app oh, okay. um, that we put out I in guess. 2012. And then we later that year, I actually, we pulled it down okay. and we started over. Uh, building from scratch at the end of 2012. Oh, wow. And then that was initially browser-based because our, our vision had expanded and it wasn't just going to be something we did for independent artists who are self-managed, but we just, we realized there's an opportunity to build a platform that management companies and labels could use. Mm-hmm. And so we, we started over at that point and yeah. put, put out the version that's out there today uh, in mid-2013. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, dive into slightly sidestepping then a little bit into, yeah, what fostered that idea and then how you got because that's a lot of steps to get a tech company going especially Mm -hmm. when you came from you know living very much the artist lifestyle you know a roommate band paying rent through from from, you know your bar gig and totally that's not necessarily a a next step that's obvious for a lot of people right yeah no it was the idea was kind of came from uh you know I was twenty. I think I was twenty four before I even got a cell phone, and it was mm-hmm. like a flip phone Motorola thing. I was way late into getting that. I resisted it hard for some reason, and <laughs> um, I liked people not being able to get in touch with me. Yeah, you know, no, I, I get that. To find me. I miss the like days of where texting wasn't assumed because you could actually like just go off the grid for three hours, and there'd be no panic or nobody like, "Come on, where have you?" Like, mm-hmm. it's, I definitely think there was something to to that oh i loved it yeah yeah i used to tell people it's like you don't find me come up you know where i live man come right, to my right. house yeah and uh come in the back door yeah totally so you know it was uh, then the iphone came out and eventually i got one of those and started the the paradigm of apps it was like ooh, well this is cool yeah and my day job here in nashville was working at a research firm uh, oncology cancer research okay firm and i was i was a part of a of like a data management team and 
we worked with a team of engineers and statisticians and we pulled all the information from the studies uh, into a database and then cleaned it. And anyway, that was my first exposure to watching people build software. And so I started thinking and working that job. I was like, whoa, we could totally build this for artists to manage their tours yeah, uh, in a really easy way. And their careers even, not just their tours, but their careers, especially indie artists like us who've driving around the country mm-hmm. playing gigs and are completely unorganized and unable to 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 make anything really happen for ourselves because we're just spinning our wheels. Right. Um, and I'd had a meeting with a manager. Uh, this is prior to the Cowboy album being made, but I was, I was gigging around town a lot and other places, and this person introduced me to a manager. And, you know, they sat me down for lunch, and they said, you know, really, I'm hearing good things about you. There's some buzz. I really – I like – the demos I've heard, your songs are really great. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, this person's going to like want to do something with me. Yeah. And I got all excited. And then a week later, we had a different meeting. It wasn't at a restaurant over a glass of wine. It was at their office. And the tone of the meeting was completely different. And they started asking me questions about my business. Oh, okay. You know, and wanting to know about sales and wanting to know about uh, merch and all these other things that I didn't ever have really any good answers for. Mm-hmm. You know, my it was like, well, I, you know, I sell homemade discs at my sh- this and that. I didn't, I didn't have any sense of a business. Yeah, yeah, at all. And they, they pretty much shut me down and said, you have to do these things. Yeah, you know, if sure. you want somebody like me to take you seriously, you need to start building this, or you need to get involved with someone who's willing to help you right now to start putting that together. Yeah, and that was my exposure to like, if I'm not going to be creative artist on the one hand and then some part of me is going to also keep track of things and be slightly about the business i'm never going to get anywhere yeah and so artist growth was let's create an app that would be really stupid easy to use where you can track how much money you're spending and track how mm-hmm. much you're making and track your merch sales and find venues to play gigs and it's got a database of uh of you know radio stations and and uh, media outlets that'll that'll talk about your record and the contact yeah. info and let's pull it all together. Um, and it was, it, you know, it it was a great idea uh, that we dove into without really understanding what the bigger business looked like sure. when it came to those same things. And so okay. that's why we put out an iPhone app and it was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then we started talking to real managers uh, and real tour managers and real label people who said, hey, that app's cool, but we'll never use it. And yeah. Here's the reasons why. It's it's for baby acts. Mm-hmm. It's for people that don't have a business yet. But if you want to build it out and and add some things in there that are a little bit more sophisticated, we would love to use this because sure. we're using we're using Microsoft Excel for everything and FileMaker Pro, and it's just not cutting it. Yeah. So it, it was this it was this learning. It was learning about the business side of the industry while at the same time just learning the basics and mechanics of running a business, which, yeah. like you said, being the the, the roommate honky-tonk band, paying the rent and bars, gypsy life, going to trying to raise capital and build a business plan and understand how you run a business was a super cold shower. Oh, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it was enlivening because it, it was opening up new doors and I felt like I was growing. and. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, growth. Yeah. Yeah. And what I learned about uh what I learned about business is you can there's a craft to it the same way there is to writing mm. songs. And I was able to exercise my creative muscles and I was able to get that same type of creative brainstorming and, and planning uh 
release that I got from writing songs mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to get a business together, mm-hmm. you know? And so I've dug that. And that yeah. was a game-changing, eye-opening thing for me where it was like the whole artist-entrepreneur merge yeah. happened. And, yeah. I, and I realized that a lot of the great businessmen were super creative and women were super creative people and are super creative people yeah. who've just learned how to put some structure to the process. Yeah. And that, that was the key for me. That's and, that's awesome. I'm doing uh, the uh, the emoji of praise hands in my head right now. <laughs> uh, that's that's exactly verbatim almost of what I've I've discovered with it's that creativity. Creativity is the it's realizing that that uh, creativity is the foundational thing, and then subsets can be music, can be poetry, can be a business, and that you feel that same flow of creativity when you're brainstorming for a business idea or even like designing your systems of how it's going to work and and now with the website i just launched when i figure out one little tweak that's going to save this much time per every transaction you get like a buzz Mm -hmm. of creating Mm -hmm. something and discovering something in the same way that when you're sitting down with a co-write and it's bumping along and you're getting great material Um, that's right and a lot of people I think like you're, a lot of people assume that the business side, business was a dirty word to me. It was like a cop out for oh, existence growing up. Oh yeah. I didn't know what it even meant. I just knew that like, I'm not going to like just become like a businessman and like, you know, sell my dreams. Oh, and, totally. Yeah. Dude. That was me. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea of mixing my music with any type of business was upsetting mm-hmm. and sinful almost. Yeah. It's like a, for sure. yeah, a crime against the universe. For sure. And I certainly wrestled with that a little bit. Like, am I, am I like completely abandoning who I am yeah. by going down this path? And I've wrestled with it. And, and ultimately I came to the conclusion that I was not at all abandoning that. I was mm-hmm. actually broadening my skill set and making myself uh, a, a more uh, informed and a, and a more, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, more flexible artist, yeah. you know, cause I was able to take things I was learning from business into my songwriting practices. Yeah. And not that it influenced the words I wrote or the progressions that I created, but there was a discipline that came mm-hmm. and, uh, and one just enhanced the other. Yeah. And what I, what I realized for me, the, the thing that unlocked both me being able to do both is just an underlying passion for what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I would have fun at all designing technology platforms, uh, for how to, um, connect to, tire sales companies right. all over the world. I would lose interest in that very, very quickly. Sure. But creating something that would potentially create a, a pathway for artists who wanted to have a career singing songs and writing songs and playing music where they didn't have to wait around for a label or a manager yeah. to like them enough. They could go out and hump it and hustle and create a little startup company of their own using a tool I was making yeah. that also allowed them to showcase themselves to the industry from a business standpoint. If I could create that, that would be badass. Yeah, right. You know? So I was very passion, you know, drove drove me into that journey the same way it drove me into writing yeah. when I was a kid. And so because of that underlying passion, I was able to, you know, all the way from every mentally, emotionally, spiritually invest myself in it. And that's that's what really allowed me to to have the two almost merge, you know, where my my business world and my artist world really just became this, this one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And business, I don't see business as, as a a dirty, sinful thing. No, no, not at all. Yeah. That's great. 
bad business practices where you're taking advantage of people, right? You know, that's not good. Um, but you know that that's what I love about this whole entrepreneurial movement is you get all these people in there who are who come from the hustle, who come from, and so integrity is sort of built in from the ground up mm-hmm. into their visions because they they are doing it mostly because they feel like business has treated them unfairly, so they're going to solve their own problems. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of builds in, I think, a, a layer of integrity into the foundation of what you're doing, which, sure. I, which I dig. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, that's exactly kind of the, the space where I, I strive to have this podcast land just because that's where I come from. Um, and I think it's, it's something that is, that's kind of my, if there's anything I fight against in the music industry, it's this idea of like this lazy musician, lazy artist who's kind of just floating around hoping for the best and, and uses the fact that they're an artist as an excuse to not be proactive or to not, yeah, touch anything business wise. Yeah. Um, and they kind of demonize that. Like, oh, I'm an artist. I, you know, I just, you know, as long as I'm writing songs, I'm doing my part. It's like, well, you can keep writing songs, but yeah. You know, and there's something there's, I, I, you know, it's so hard because sometimes I have some friends who, they really believe that the reason they're on this planet is to write songs. Sure. And they're all in. They have no plan B. Mm-hmm. But they also bust their ass to make it happen. Sure. Um, and make that's a career happen. That's probably the key. And that's the key. And and so I don't say like, oh, yeah, well, you should be worrying about this or that. Like, if, if you want to have no plan B or no other irons in the fire and yeah. that, this is your one thing, like you're going to be Picasso, awesome. Yeah. But don't sit around on your ass and be entitled about it. Right, right. Uh, you know work hard yeah and um and that's inspiring to me so i don't have a problem with people saying that's my one purpose in the world but i agree with you that you know this entitlement thing doesn't work well yeah really in any area of life yeah you know it's just not good and but i think what's cool too is that for some people they're actually really good at having multiple irons in the fire Mm -hmm. and maybe they're making some of their money off being a graphic designer and some of their money off selling albums and streams and royalties and some of their or sync and then they're making some money, uh, you know, tending bar one night a week or yeah, two nights sure. a week. And that's just this blend yeah. of them living a life as a person who controls their own schedule and their own calendar and they're able to be the person they want to be. Yeah. That's the key, man. Yeah. You know, is, is covering your bases and being who you feel like you are, being in, in alignment with who you think you feel you are. You know, and for me, uh, sitting in a cubicle at a big company every day did not feel in alignment with who I was and why I was on this planet. Sure. You know, not that I have one definitive reason for why I'm on this planet, but it certainly wasn't to sit in a cubicle. I used to get sick. I used to get a sick feeling in my stomach around five o'clock every Sunday. Oh, really? Because I knew that I was going back in. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, oh. So that drove me to into entrepreneurialism. Mm -hmm. Because nobody was going to come along and say, hey, you have your dream job. Go for it. Right. You have to build it. Yeah. And that takes that takes a lot of passion. Yeah, for sure. Um, but if the industry's headed in a in a direction where artists become entrepreneurs and and generate are able to generate their own business yeah. and their own livelihood out of it, then that's amazing. Yeah, for that's sure. A, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I did want to touch on your uh, balance as far as you know. Like I said, I love having the business, the music, all these things, but it is hard when you have so many fire is going because especially I know for me like I always when I hear people talk about being bored I haven't felt like bored probably in a few years just because I always have my to-do list is ever growing 
and I always feel like I have something I could be doing to feed one of these fires. Um, and so it, it, it's a good thing because I don't like being bored, but I also, it can be a stressful thing and hard to balance. So I'd be curious, especially as you're kicking into having, you know, like you said, not doing the full on promotion for the album, but having your artist presence more known, mm-hmm. how you kind of have those two hats and all whatever, you know, family life and all that hat going as well. Yeah, it's a struggle, man. And, and you know, I, uh, I, I will say when I first got into the artist growth thing, not not the planning stages, but once we launched it, yeah, and it came with the expectation of growing a business and in more of a pressure cooker environment than hey, let's see if this works and we're going to invest the rest of our lives into making this work. Yeah, right. That was much more like a you got a limited amount of time to make this work because it's being backed by other people. I really struggled with finding a life balance. Um, yeah, I'm a kind of person that. If I decide I'm going to do something, I do it, and I throw myself in. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time I had put myself in a position where other people um, had invested in an idea of mine, and so they were enabling me to do it. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I went way to the extreme of pushing myself too hard. Okay, um, not having balance that that influenced me physically and mentally. It it really strained uh, relationships with family and sure. friends. Um, it was hard, yeah, and it took me a couple of years to f- figure out how to strike a healthy balance, yeah, just in time management, yeah, right, you know, and and not just like what I'm doing from hour to hour, but mentally, mm-hmm. um, how being that, with people being with people with and being yeah. present, you know, and like not getting up from the table because my phone buzzes mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I got to go take this, you yeah, it, it it took me a while and and it was it, it's still an ongoing struggle. Yeah. Um, and it's still at times, you know, it's just sort of an understood thing. It's like sometimes you have to do that. When and that just sucks. Ship. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's, yeah, it's Sunday night dinner with the family and the guy you've been trying to get a hold of for a month mm-hmm. calls you. And yeah. it's like, I have to take this. Yeah, yeah. You know, because then I might, it might be another six months before I get him on the phone again. Yeah. And so it's balance. Yeah. You know, it's just hard. And when, when you're, when you're the one who's responsible for, you know, it's like an eat what you kill situation. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to unplug from that, um, especially when you got kids. And when you enjoy it, it's a whole other element, dude. Because no doubt, you don't. You're not. You enjoy going into that space, but you can only like anything you enjoy. You have to do it. You know, yeah, in a moderate, a moderation base. Yeah, and then you know, I made a decision when I started artist growth, and it's like, okay, I'm getting into business. That's going to be what I do all day, every day, and. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop writing poetry. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna stop studying the craft, and I'm not gonna stop writing songs and making music. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when I'm on an airplane traveling on a business trip, uh, I'm writing on that airplane. Okay. Um, or I'm reading. You know, or or if I'm if I'm in New York on business for two or three days. Yeah. I'm not going out to. I don't go out to bars and party. Yeah. When the meetings are done, I go back to my hotel room and I I have a little mobile studio and I'm writing songs and I'm recording or I'm writing. I'm working on a new book or, cool. you know, I I don't. Um, I I made sort of the pact with myself where it was like, I'm cool to to give up aspects of a social life, and and because I partied my ass off for the better part of my twenties. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? You got the experience with no responsibilities. And, um, I kind of said, okay, cool. I've done that. Mm -hmm. And that was like in my bohemian years of, of gypsy poetry, drinking, you know, just sort of mayhem. Yeah. Glad I did it. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, I've done that. What, what happens if I take all my free time, 
when, you know, especially if I'm away on business and I'm already away from my family. Yeah. I'm gonna go back to the hotel room and I'm gonna I'm gonna work on music or I'm gonna write a play or I'm gonna write a book of poetry. Yeah. And, Keep and that, that stuff alive. Yeah. Keep the muscle. Yeah. So I find those you gotta carve out those places for yourself to reconnect with that mm. deep, deep inner you do what you do and who you are. Um and you can't probably wait for them to come up organically because no, that'll never happen. Never again. happens. Yeah. Never happens. Yeah. And um and so sometimes it's late at night, sometimes it's super early in the morning, sometimes it's in a hotel room or on an airplane. Yeah. Um, and then you trade your hobbies, you know, like a lot of guys, a lot of businessmen, like they go play golf mm-hmm. on the weekends and I love playing golf. It's super fun. And, uh, but I, it's rare because instead of me being like, I'm going to go spend my Saturday doing this, I, I go in my office and I write Yeah, because that's the only hours I have. Yeah. You know, you so it's about prioritization, I think. And then just a commitment to who you, you know, you got to have these certain things, Yeah, you know, and for some of us, uh, those certain things we have to have, the list is longer than other people. Yeah. You know, like I have people in my family who are super content with their day job and then hanging yeah. out and watching the football game. Right. Um, that's, that's enough. A, that's awesome. Yeah. But for me, it's always, it's always been not enough, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know if that's a, an, a bad thing or a good thing, but it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. It is just like it is what it is for them. It's not a bad or a good thing It's for, for, for me in the same way. It's I, the thought of, any kind of regimented, I have to do this every day and it's completely outside of my control. Like when I was in school and when I was, had some jobs that were more like scheduled and forced to go to that I didn't want to, uh, my, my brain has a hard time not like getting into a depressive state. And it sounds kind of just like obnoxious to be like, I can't like go work at the restaurant because I'll be depressed or what, you know, but Mm -hmm. I did it for a long time and I pushed through it in the same way as school. But looking back at the way I felt on a day-to-day basis when I went, had to go to school every day and especially like high school where it's like extremely no freedom formalized. I was, I was, I had a lot of like depressed time periods where I, my brain just hated the fact that I had no control and I had to be doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of those things were not things I wanted to be doing. It just naturally. So if I were to, like you said, like have a cubicle thing, there's a lot of things on paper that I I would know I'd have finances in order. I'd know I have, you know, I would be able to take this vacation. I could look forward to that in my weekends. I'd be able to go out and I wouldn't have to worry about X, Y, Z. Uh, but I know after a week of it, I would probably be depressed for all those other activities. Yeah. Just because I know how my brain works. Yeah, man. So I, I have to, yeah, just like someone who can do what, do a job every day and have football and they're happy. They know that that makes them happy and that's all they need. I need to know what makes me feel, you know, content and like I'm feeding my, my, you know, deepest self, I guess, like you were saying. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, uh, part of what's so important is this of not being trapped. I think, you know, human beings, I don't think it's healthy to be living in a state where you feel trapped Mm -hmm. and everybody has a different definition of what that means or a different threshold for, for constraints on their life and on their time. Um, and based on what those limits are really determines what type of risk we're willing to take on yeah, and then what kind of stress and, and anxieties that we endure for taking on that level of risk. You know, so for me, I have a very high tolerance for risk because I have a very, very low threshold for constraints mm. on my time. Yeah. And so because I, I really 
get upset and have a hard time feeling at peace if, if, if I'm constrained and I don't feel like I have the ability to set my own schedule. Um, cause I'll work harder than anybody. Yeah. Uh, but it wins for yourself then you don't feel constrained. Yeah. For, or for something I believe in right, right, right. And, and I get to set up the process, yeah, that's, you that's know, and, and yeah. control it. And then so in order for me to have that, I'm willing to take on a considerable amount of risk and stress and anxiety um, where, you know, you're, you're out with friends sometimes at a restaurant and they're not thinking about anything because they're off work and they know that tomorrow morning their job is there and their paycheck right. is assured. And while you're sitting there talking to people in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how am I going to pay my employees next mm-hmm. month? How yeah. am I going to do this? How am I going to buy groceries or, or cover health insurance for my kid? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always there. Yeah. It's always on. And, you know, some people just can't handle that, don't want it. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it was like the freedom was everything, mm-hmm. you know, so it was worth it. It's so worth it. Yeah. That's a great comparison. I hadn't thought of that as like a kind of a two things that, like, yeah, you can have your freedom percentage and you can have your security percentage. And some people can like to be happy can tolerate more or less. I've thought of it just as like. I guess I've 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 thought of those two c- together, but I haven't thought of them as like a personality thing where certain people can handle certain amounts, and mm-hmm. so you have to find your sweet spot. Of, yeah. You know, are you stressed all the time about money because you want to do this freedom route? So maybe you should try the the less free but more security, and maybe you'll be happier, uh, or vice versa. Which yeah, I, I think I would sit in the same same kind of place where I need to feel to even want to go out with my friends i'm i'm coming from that freedom place but that's going to come with a little bit of back of my mind trying to figure out all the other things yeah and i wouldn't trade it for the world yeah yeah. because it's fun yeah it's also fun for me to to be on this sort of journey where i I don't it's not all the answers aren't there it's not laid out Mm -hmm. for me it's a puzzle yep um and i'm learning have to learn new things and i have to be creative and i have to be sly and yeah and uh you know i i want to have to hustle yeah i like it yeah and, and not, not everybody does, but right. you know, that's okay too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want everyone because then we'd all be like hustling and then we'd have to hustle even, even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, and yeah, yeah. The, did, did I found growing up, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about like the fact that I came from a place where school, everything is laid out. My faith was laid out and hand, like every piece of my life was handed to me. And now I'm at a point where all those things have been, reorganized and kind of deconstructed and reevaluated to a place of freedom, basically. Mm. Um, You grew up in the South in Franklin. Did you have like a faith piece that followed the same kind of trajectory um, at all that it sounds, you you referenced spirituality and all that from a place that sounds more of of a holistic place. It sounds like, is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Well, I grew up in the church and I was way into the church, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up in, in like junior high and high school, I was probably at the church three or four days a week. Okay. Yeah. You know, I was like leading a, a a group of fifth and sixth graders and I was a part of the inner city ministries and I was, had my own little group that I was in with my friends and Sundays and I mean, just volunteer. It was, I was so in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really resonated with this idea of connecting with a higher spiritual power yeah. and that we were and that there was this guiding hand to life i uh, bought into that all the way yeah uh, at an early age but by the time i was out of getting out of high school i had i was older and i was see you don't see things when you're young that you see as you start to get older and mm-hmm. i was just starting to see that in the church in the organized religion in my church and other people's churches and people i met and just broadly in religion there was such a high level of hypocrisy 
yeah. uh, that I couldn't square myself with, and it really disillusioned me. Sure. And a lot of the people that I was being told that I went to high school with, that you know, people at my church were saying, "Oh, they're such bad people." I got to know them finally, and I was right. like, "They're not bad people. They're they're great people." Messes up the paradigm. They just do things that you disagree with, and sure, you know, the Old Testament says they shouldn't do those things, mm-hmm. but they're great people. Right. And they're right. not evil. Right. And I, I just couldn't square it anymore, and so I still walked away from it. Mm-hmm. And then I went on this journey, you know, looking through other types of spirituality to try to figure out, well, what was this connection I still felt? Yeah. And um, that led me, you know, through studying other religions. And then uh, I really started resonating with indigenous peoples mm-hmm. uh, who, who had a much uh, more real sense of spirituality. Uh, the Native Americans and the Maori people uh, of New Zealand, I met them, and that's where the healing practicing work mm, comes in. Is cool. that they started this family who does this body work and and making medicines from plants and things like that. They started teaching me what they do and the work that they do, and so I started doing that work on other people, and that opened up a whole new level of awareness. Yeah, um, and the idea of being present and connected um, with connected. Yeah, that 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 changed my life. That's awesome. Yeah, and so now I I still consider myself a very spiritual person. And yeah, it's it's in it's in music, it's in work, it's in business, it's in everything. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's been a major evolutionary process since I was yeah. a kid for sure. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, I think for me the definition of spirituality is basically the definition of everything. If that, you know, being connected to everything, it doesn't mean you're like. Um, crying every time you see a leaf necessarily, you know, like it doesn't have to be like connected, but even just physically, we know from physics that everything is, is morphing Mm -hmm. from there. There's, and on a quantum level, humans are basically like a math equation that kind of makes sense that we're one coherent thing, Mm -hmm. but not really. And so we're basically all a bunch of things interacting. That's one thing, you know, the universe is the universe. And so like acknowledging that on a physics level, even just that does something to the way you see the world. And then when you can kind of tear level it up and, and see it even more spiritual and do practices, like you're saying, it Mm -hmm. sounds like that, that force you to be aware of how, you know, we're connected to everything that, that has become my baseline idea of what spirit, the word spirituality means. Yeah. Cause it's more inclusive than, um, spirituality only meaning the time I spend looking up to the sky and hoping for a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's finding the connection that's already here and kind of growing that, I would say. Yeah. It's, uh, it's consciousness, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an awareness of the divinity inside consciousness. Sure. You sure. Know? And that, that, uh, that consciousness, um, certainly exists in, in people and in, in animals and, mm-hmm. and but also in, in nature, and this sure. is what I really drew so much from the indigenous communities I've been exposed to, is that you know when you can start to, to feel a, a connection on the level of consciousness to the natural world and the environment around you, yeah, um, things go, you know, things things start. You start experiencing the world differently, mm-hmm. um, and like you're saying, when you when you bring the awareness of like what we're learning on the science side of things and apply it to these ancient wisdoms, it's just like, oh yeah. So science is slowly just finding a new way to you know, yeah, yeah, to illustrate that which these people have known for tens of thousands yeah, of years. Intuitively, they felt yeah. something. That, yeah, because it didn't make sense two hundred years ago to be like, I'm the same thing as that tree. 
Mm-hmm. It, that was just like, no, you're, you're not the, the tree. But then when you break it down to these quantum levels and to the way to just on or a quantum on the smallest or on a macro level, the mm-hmm. universe, we're all we literally come from these from from star like we came from dust and mm-hmm. stars and, and all these things that sound like mystical, but it's actually just it's like biology. Yeah, man. Um, so it's it's fascinating that that catches up with these intuitive ideas that people had that was like, why do you keep looking at that tree? It's right. Like, yeah. It's like, well, you know, it, it's in this, like with Cowboy Jack in that song, uh, the chorus, we must believe in magic. We mm. must believe in the guiding hand. Mm. Cause if you believe in magic, you have the universe at your command. There you uh, go. You know, so he, he, songs like that. I mean, that was the song that like bonded Jack and I as friends. And yeah. Like, art, life, all represents back this sort of underlying connection and journey that we're all on. Yeah. That, uh, that binds us all together. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Jack was somebody who more than anyone I know of in the country music tradition, uh, understood that and exemplified that, which is why I think he was such a magnet for so many great artists. Yeah. They wanted to be around him because he, he was sort of the, the, the circus ringleader of, of this, uh, of this energy yeah. of connectedness um, and using music as a conduit um, to channel it. Yeah. A subset of connectedness kind yeah. of with creativity in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and you know, what I find super thrilling is that young, younger generations, and I'm sure every generation sees it this way, but are coming in way more enlightened mm. than I was when I was five or 10 mm-hmm. I'm already cognizant of things and kind of on the level yeah you know and so it it, despite that uh, the darkness that looms in our world these days Mm -hmm. uh, i have i have a lot of hope that some of these younger kids are going to come in and really shake things up Mm -hmm. and bring a whole new level of of consciousness to the forefront of civilization and and society and politics and and business so yeah you know it's going to be fun to see where it all goes yeah i think Anytime you sweep a room, you got to stir up the dust, which is kind of the way I see the the darkness. I also think there's always been darkness. We're just exposed to it at a hyper level because of technology for the first time. Sure. Which allows you can't clean until you know what you're cleaning. So sure thing. Uh, that's my optimistic way of looking at, you know, some of the, the questionable stuff going on these days, obviously. But uh, I think that's a good I think you tied it up really well, bringing it back to the album. Um do you want to to wrap up? Just plug wherever, find the album, artist growth, whatever you want to say about those things. Yeah, well, the album's, right now, it's just, you know, it's digital. So mm-hmm. it's on Pandora, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff, Amazon. Um, I'm sure we'll do vinyl eventually. Yeah. Uh, it takes like two years to get a vinyl run through <laughs> if, you're, if you're not a label. Right. Uh, but, yeah, so I hope people enjoy it. And, um, you know, for artists, I'd say anybody who listens to this who's an artist um, or a yoga teacher or photographer or anybody... Uh, who is in the middle of the trenches and the struggle of being an entrepreneurial artist and building their own business and trying to create some structure around that to check out AG because it, it is super simple and yeah. it allows you to clue other people, whether it's your friend or your uncle or uh, you know anybody who can help you on the business side can plug in and get access to the information. And, and you know, so it's a cool, it's a cool tool for that. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not, for everybody yeah, yeah um, sure. because some people aren't really at the place where they need mm-hmm. a tool like that yet um but for those who are you know i would definitely say that uh you should check it out that's awesome yeah. awesome we'll or plug just, those at up least too. just reach out and say hi yeah yeah um we love meeting artists uh who are 
who come and share their stories with us about cool. their struggle to build their own business. Yeah, and that Inspiring. helps you guys discover ways to help more and more artists as well, which no is doubt. the point of growing artists. Artist yeah, growth. no doubt. Uh, that's perfect. Well, I'll link those up in the uh, in the description as well so people can click right through. But thank you again for, for oh, doing man. it. Thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah.